This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hi, everybody. I'm Duke Kip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And we're very thankful to have a really great guest with us today. Uh, we're joined by Mr. Hanman Yip. He is a leader and a private investor in the alternative protein sector here in Asia. Hi, Hanman. How are you? Hi, Duke. I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, thanks for making time to do this. We appreciate it. And uh, in the spirit of the five good questions, we'll we'll jump right in. Okay. Yeah. So starting off with like you know none of these topics are always easy or easy ones to to get into. Some of these are are um, you know quite challenging. A lot of moving parts to all of this. But uh, first, one I wanted to get into was something that the United Nations released earlier this year. They had their annual State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World Report, um, and um, just a few months ago, and according to the latest data, the number of hungry people uh, here in Asia rose from 418 million to 425 million. That means, unfortunately, Asia is leading again in this uh, ominous category uh, of being the home to the most um, number of people affected by hunger. Clearly, we have a lot of work to do. We have to uh, specifically do a better job in ensuring a safe, nutritious food supply uh, and that it's accessible to more people here in Asia. What, what role can technology play in addressing this particular issue? Yeah, if, if I could provide a little bit of a background. So the current method of agriculture has its roots dated back uh, almost 11,000 years ago. The same principle of growing an animal to get the protein has not changed much. Um, it takes, for example, three years to raise a cow before it can be slaughtered for its meat. Well, this approach of producing protein is very inefficient. So as our population grows, um, it contributes to the problems that we are facing, such as climate, our health, and animal welfare. Uh, this is where technology comes in. So technology, especially uh, food tech or alternative protein, allows us to produce more food, em emit less uh, greenhouse gas, uses less land and water to feed a growing population. Let me share some examples, um, especially three areas that I've started, invested, and still very passionate about. The indoor vertical farms, this is how we first started. Uh, the technology today, uh, with the size of a uh, 0.4 hectare, which is about 4,000 square meter, almost the size of a football field, indoor vertical farms produces the equivalent of at least 1.6 to 2.4 hectares compared to outdoor farming. This is at least four to eight times uh, more production. So, and then in the process, no pesticides are used, no topsoil degradation, no worries on border lockdown or supply chain disruption. You essentially can have the food um, produced on a consistent manner. And if you turn to plant-based meat, which is uh, very popular these days, um, I just got back from a trip from UK where I tour a facility containing five 10 stories tall bioreactors. Each of them produce uh, plant-based chicken protein uh, equivalent to about one and a half traditional chicken farms. And it only takes eight people in a centralized control room to manage these facilities of five 10-story bioreactors. Less land, less water, less greenhouse emission and zero use of growth hormones and there's no need for antibiotics. And the one that we have, we've seen a lot of investors putting a lot of uh, investment in is um, cultivated meat or cell-based meats. Um, I have also the pleasure to witness and also taste um, Asia first cell-based meat 
And um, there was this opening at Bedok, uh, where Singapore is the first in the world, or in Asia actually, to have um, a 6,000 litre uh, bioreactor housed in a 3,000 square meter facility that can produce tens of thousands of tons of uh, chicken meat every year when this comes on board. So technology offer a way for us to grow uh, food sustainably and uh, especially to feed a growing population while addressing the climate change and health and also animal issue. Yeah. That's a, that's a, thank you for that. That's a very, very insightful and, and, and not, not uh, too dissimilar from what we hear from a lot of folks around the, the role of technology. Um, I'd like to maybe pivot a little bit. You just mentioned Singapore a few different times there. And of course, you and I are both sitting here today in Singapore. And to give some context, one of the big points that uh, has been noted with Singapore with food particularly is the, is, the, is the 30 by 30 initiative, this food production target that's in place for, for Singapore, as you know, it's the ambitious goal. Um, that's to ensure 30% of the country's nutritional needs are met through local production by the year 2030. As we're moving closer, because time has seemed to slip right through our fingers here in the last couple of years, especially, um, we're getting closer and closer to that target. What are some of the steps Singapore needs to consider uh, to make sure that it reaches that ambitious goal? Yeah, I I, I must say, uh, you know, interestingly for on my career path, I think, I'm a telecom engineer. I've always been in telecom, IT, and so on. By chance, six years ago, I became a farmer in Northeast China, and that's changed my life. What I was going to say is that Singapore has always got a big plan. We always plan ahead, making sure that you know we have enough enough energy, we have enough food, and so on. I was quietly part of the whole Singapore food security. We may not have uh, names such as 30 by 30, but it has always been there. And then I, I think it was only a few years ago that we start looking at how can we build a, a more resilient um, uh, food production system. And first of all, I, I would I would want to say that the government, especially Economic Development Board, Enterprise Singapore Group, as well as Singapore Food Agency, SFA, has done a very good job. And I've, I've heard this from everybody around the world to position Singapore as an agri-food uh, technology hub. So SFA is the first regulator in the world to approve cultivated meat um, two years ago. Um, and the world sees Singapore as a trailblazer. So food tech companies, and I can tell you almost every day I get uh, inquiries around the world wants uh, presence in Singapore. This lays a very good foundation for building an ecosystem to support Singapore's food security plan, um, which includes the Singapore 30 by 30. So moving forward, the 30 by 30, in my view, is the start of a very long-term plan. Uh, I would recommend continue the great momentum that we have uh, started. And um, to me, focus on execution, on the short-term goals, while continue push for food production, cell uh, sufficiency in the long-term plan. A few things that I, I came to my mind was um, we have been doing pretty well in, or SFA has been doing pretty well in getting the stakeholders involved, offering grants and in tenders and, and also building talent. So we should continue to get um, the stakeholders, which includes for suppliers, manufacturers, and distribution partners to look at constantly improving the productivity and the resource efficiency. I, I, I can give an example in the very early days when I was helping a U.S. plant-based meat company to distribute 
um, to land in Singapore, it was very, very difficult um, to try to even get your product uh, on the shelf. But now things are a lot easier. Um, at that time, we have a group that we talk about how about, um, you know, a Singapore branded um, product. If it's made in Singapore, it will be a dedicated shelf. It was not a good idea, but now it is an idea and you get to see a lot of Singapore produce. Providing research grants and land tenders to food companies uh, to produce food that contribute to our food security, that should continue to happen. We've done some pretty good results. The last but most importantly, um, there is a shortage of talents from um, anywhere from strain engineering, bioprocessing engineering, cell culture development, and all this that is important for the growth of um, cell-based agriculture in this part of the world. So all these three areas, I mean, we have the plan. We just continue to execute that. My personal uh, favorite would be consumer awareness and consumer education. This is important because we need to involve the consumer in the very early stage of our development so that they don't feel left behind. And by the time, it could be years, if not decades, when we have the perfect product that is sustainable and so on, they need to be very willing um, to purchase and eat it. So, so that consumer education, consumer awareness, I think is something that we could pay um, a little bit more attention. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the world is changing. Singapore is in many senses, especially here in the region, at the center of a lot of that. So it makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, I'd like to uh, move not too far away, but but look at food security, food insecurity, a little bit, a little bit deeper than a different uh, lens, through a different lens. There are three C's we hear a lot about these days. Of course, COVID, coming out of COVID and the pandemic uh, globally, um, climate change, which you touched on a little bit earlier, which we'll get into here, and of mm -hmm. course, a conflict, right? The conflict in Europe and, dis and, and disruption to food. Food, uh, food chains around the world. So uh, earlier this year, CropLife Asia and the uh, ASEAN Secretary worked together to uh, conduct a policymaker survey, climate change impact to ASEAN agriculture that was um, jointly together. And uh, one of the, high, one of the um, I guess, takeaways from that was that more than half of the policymakers around Southeast Asia cite climate change impact as, as the biggest obstacle for food systems in the region. Not, not that surprising, frankly. With COP27 in Egypt, uh, looming mm -hmm. next next month, mm -hmm. and you touched on it earlier. Are there certain steps you would recommend from where you sit uh, with respect to the region's food policy environment, uh, with climate change mitigation or adaptation? Um, yeah, I appreciate hearing your your thoughts on that. Sure, um, not an expert in this space, but I, as an observer, as an investor as well, and a stakeholder, I, I do have some um, observations. I would say, first of all, I must I must thank. Crop Life Asia for doing such a great job in raising the awareness of uh, the climate and the challenges in our current food systems. I think that we continue uh, to do that is part of part and parcel of consumer education, consumer awareness, um, and you know, food security is really a long play. I mean, uh, this is true not just for countries like Singapore, which we rely on food import, but increasingly even for traditionally agriculture-rich countries, including our neighboring countries. I just came back from our northern neighbor. They were very keen uh, in looking at what we are doing. Part of the reason is I think they got a first taste when the chicken from um, Malaysia are banned from exporting to Singapore. They never right. would have imagined that, right? So I think Teamwork is very important. I think climate change and food challenges affects everybody. It would be more efficient and effective uh, when countries, at least in our region, um, in ASEAN, collaborate as a team rather than 
you know, as a silo. Um, in fact, during the panel, question was that, uh, what can we do to position ourselves in this in this space? Uh, I said, you know, collaborate. Uh, don't do a me too because uh, Malaysia has such a good reputation in terms of manufacturing and and that. You don't have to go do what Singapore is doing. In fact, we should work at partnering together. And this should extend to Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, and so on. So collaboration is important, not just for food, but uh, for climate as well. Um, by sh- I mean, as a start, by sharing information and partnering in uh, food tech projects. I think we have done that in, in many other spaces. FinTech, for example, we, we, we did that as well. So it's not new to, to us in Singapore and, and, and in other countries. So mitigation and adaptation i think these are important i mean given the nature of climate induced problems um policymakers in asean uh, should include both adaptation and mitigation measures so adaptation first majority of the countries in asean are severely that's severely affected by climate change are actually uh, insignificant emitters um therefore adaptation Adaptation of measures in the region must be scaled up um, to enhance uh, the capacity, also must strengthen the uh, resilience and reduce the vulnerability of um, climate change. Uh, this actually is in line with what the Paris Agreement, the uh, the global goal on adaptation. So mm-hmm. for um, I think that would be a good uh, guideline. Um, the other thing that I like to look at is investment in green tech. Um, I, I think substantial investment um, must be made in the renewable energy to make agriculture, manufacturing, constructions, and transport sector greener to reduce the impact of uh, climate change. And um, the third one is important in terms of financial resources. I think all these mitigation and adaptation uh, measures uh, require significant financial resources and government commitment. I would suggest uh, that the ASEAN countries uh, team up together and set up some kind of a dedicated fund, perhaps the, uh, getting the private sector uh, involved as well, because this impacts the livelihoods of people in our country as well as our neighbors. You know, that's, a, that's actually a great answer. And, uh, you know, agriculture, food production generally is one of those interesting intersections where it actually is both an emitter of GHGs and one of the top emitters of GHG. And at the same time, it's also um, in the crosshairs of climate change and that, you know, farmers are uh, affected more than most when it comes to climate change and the impacts around the region. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe we could pivot a little bit further, uh, again, into a topic that you've touched on a little bit too, resiliency. I know you said uh, maybe a little bit out of your lane, but I like to, you know, we talk about these three C's again, the COVID, the COVID conflict and climate change. And we've learned a lot, right, through this whole process, this journey the last two and a half, three years around just how fragile our food systems are here in Asia and globally, certainly as well. Rising food prices are, are uh, you know, further evidence of, uh, a reminder of, of that uh, um, for everybody. Are there any must-haves uh, in your view when it comes to making food systems more resilient? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit biased since I invested in food tech. So my first must-have would be food technology oh. um, and be be very open to explore using technology to complement existing food supply. I emphasize complement because in the very early days, uh, we have seen a lot of companies we invested in come out and say, oh, we want to disrupt the um, the food uh, industry. Um, disruption is uh, not exactly the right word. And many of those uh, companies that 
I either invest or, or advise ended up facing a big challenge because um, the food industry is pretty established and complex. You have a product, you still need to work with the supply chain, you need to work with distribution channels, and it's not easy to do that uh, if you are not uh, partnering with somebody. So instead of looking at me disrupting you, it should be looked at um, me complimenting you. So you have um, food, big food companies have established decades, if not centuries, of uh, a network that they have a product they could uh, reach it in the most efficient way to the consumer, and as a, and and at the end of the day, uh, brings a good return to its uh, shareholders and so on. We should leverage on that. So. The pitch that we have has always been, okay, as a startup, um, we have a more efficient way to produce a product that um, the newer generation prefer. Can we work together on, on this? And I think that's a much better way of doing it. Uh, we have also seen an increasing change of mindset. Um, if you look at it, I could summarize just the meat industry, the big meat companies like Tyson's Food, Nestle, Unilever, uh, JBS, BRF, Cargill, these are the big ones, has already started investing in uh, meat alternatives. And some, they just outright uh, acquired them before they hit a valuation of <laughs> um, a unicorn. So, so we're beginning to see that. So, so that's good. The second thing I think is important is mindset change and acceptance uh, because we are so used to again we stop thinking about the consequences of what they are doing, and then we start looking at something new um, and not able to accept it. So climate change affects everyone, right? Um, even for agriculture export countries, so governments should uh, look at um, include food security and food uh, self sufficiency as part of the nation's policy. Before that, they don't think much about it. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, was agriculture-rich uh, countries just never give some thought about it. But I think the um, the past few years, the three Cs you mentioned start making a lot of governments look at things very differently. So the mindset change is important at the government level all the way down. And um, the, they should start looking at alternatives to produce food, which again, go back to food tech, alternative protein, um, and also um, uh, encourage a more sustainable way to produce food um, in, in, the, in, the, in the old manner, uh, meaning uh, industrial farm, but you can all still produce uh, food in a much more sustainable manner than, uh, than the old way of doing it, using some form of, doesn't have to be deep tech, but just some form of a technology or practices, right? Um, I am actually very encouraged to see two of the largest economies uh, in the world setting very good examples, the US and China. Um, as early as uh, March this year, um, uh, Xi Jinping, President Xi Jinping has announced um, that China will include novel food in its five-year plan. That is very significant. As, as somebody who works in China, was working for both governments, I know how important a policy mandate is like this. It will trigger, I think, by um, very soon, by the time and the end of the year or early next year, this will all trigger down to county levels and so on. You'll see um, very good foundation for novel food um, to take off. Um, and the U.S., I mean, President Biden has just uh, openly um, endorsed um, uh, synthetic biology, um, alternative protein as the way to go. So these are good examples. 
And for adaptation and mitigation, we spoke about it earlier. Climate change is going to be here for a long time. So a plan is needed to involve the government, the private sector, and the citizens. I think the citizens part is, I like to emphasize again, we need to get everybody onto the journey right now together and not one at a time to adapt to this uh, new normal while have the same time having a policy to mitigate uh, those effects. I, I think these are the three must-haves in, in my mind. Yeah. Interesting way also of putting it at the beginning, I like what you said about disruption. You know, there's, there's good disruption, which is maybe it's actually more uh, collaborative, a complementary collaboration, as you said, and then there's, of course, there's bad disruption, which we've seen plenty of in the last, uh, you know, couple of years. Well, yeah. we always close with the same question, which is uh, if you look in your crystal ball by maybe five or 10 years, is there, is there something that you could project and predict uh, that's going to come to fruition here in Asia that you're excited about, you think you, you're encouraged by, you think will come to pass and will help uh, make things better with food systems in Asia? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. Um, one is for big food company, I think the arrival of alternative protein and the opportunity it brings um, has convinced the big food company to relook at the way uh, they are producing food. When I talk about relook, meaning they pay more attention to um, some of the feedback that they get, uh, sustainability especially, uh, uh, producing food more efficiently. But at the same time, they are also embracing uh, technologies uh, and it just makes sense that way. So traditional farming industry has started aligning themselves with sustainability goals, which is very good. My personal vision is um, I would envision in 10 years' time, half or more of the eggs, meat, and dairy will be from alternative protein sources, uh, especially when the price parity is expected uh, to be, to be, to be uh, reached at that time. Uh, in fact, if you look at the past couple of months, I believe the plant-based milk in Netherlands or Germany um, it is cheaper than um, dairy itself. And then same thing goes for meat in, in Germany, I believe. And then in the US, um, plant-based egg has just reached uh, parity with, with mama eggs. Um, and we in, in the investment industry, we have not actually expected that to reach so fast. Uh, but so in 10 years time, I envision half of, half of these uh, proteins will be produced by alternative uh, methods. And I don't think the consumer would notice them. Um, then another 10 years later, I would expect we stop asking if this meat is plant-based or cell-based. Um, in fact, I would, I would expect something opposite happens. So if we are presented with a piece of meat that is produced in the traditional ways, we would ask if this is safe to consume, does it contain growth hormones, antibiotics, and how are we treating the animals and so on? In 20 years' time, um, I want to see mini bioreactors in the home churning out meat the way we make coffee uh, from our Nespresso machines. And if, if that happens, you know, don't worry about border lockdown, covered footprint, and, and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> that's well, my wish list. Yeah. Well, it's quite ambitious, but I mean, that's very exciting to hear. Uh, and, and just visualizing all of that, I think you know, five years. Uh, let's come back and let's let's see how it all how it all looks. Twenty, I'm not sure we're going to make it, but but five, let's let's try for that. That would be great. <laughs> I I mean I, I I laugh because I came from 
the mobile phone industry and the PC industry both went through similar transformation. We hardly look at it today. I work with Motorola, Nokia, Microsoft, BlackBerry, and all these um, devices. At, at every time at that peak, we thought we are the best. But then you look at what happens 30 years later, the the smartphone and you know has changed everything and changed our life. I mean, we hardly talk about that, but it takes a few decades. Mm-hmm. Same thing for PC. Um, I was working with Microsoft and Bill Gates, my, my CEO would say, um, our vision is to have one PC in every home. When I was at university doing programming, we were still using punch cards. And I have to book time at the mainframe to do that. Now we have like, I don't know how many personal computer I have at home. <laughs> Even yeah. little stuff is a personal computer. So yeah, I think I think once you get the technology into uh, in place, um, a lot can happen. And especially for the challenges that we have here, our food systems is very challenged, not exactly very efficient. And then we have climate change. So um, I think the acceleration uh, would be faster than before. Excellent. Thank you for that very thoughtful answer. And with that, Hanuman, you're officially off the five good questions hot seat. We appreciate you doing this again today. And uh, and let's talk again in five years and see how it all how it all looks. <laughs> maybe, maybe 10 years, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview. 